Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northern Hills. If uh, you're new, maybe joining us for the weekend, my name's Brian, one of the pastors here. Just so glad to have you. This must be the crowd that doesn't own the mountain homes or lake houses, right? Is that why you're all here right now <laughs> or didn't get the invite? We know who you are watching online right now from your comfortable locations, but we're so glad everybody in the room, everybody online. Now, I wouldn't expect anyone to recognize this face on the screen right here, but this is Dawson Gurley. And again, I wouldn't expect you to know that name at all, but he has one little claim to fame, and that is that he looks eerily similar to this guy on the screen. And if you don't know who that is, that is Clay Thompson. He's a famous basketball player for the Golden State Warriors. They just won the championship. Now, here's the funny thing about Dawson. Dawson looks just similar enough to Clay that he gets mistaken for him all the time around San Francisco. So he's driving around. People are asking for autographs. They want pictures with this guy. He's literally just walking around as Clay in the city. It is so funny that just at this last finals this year, Dawson said, I'm going to try going into the arena as Clay, the basketball player. So he gets through multiple layers of security. The security guards for the arena are like taking pictures with the guy as for autographs. He gets into the facility. There's fans taking pictures with him. Dawson Gurley gets to the floor of the basketball court for warm-up shots for game five of the finals as Clay Thompson. It's just hilarious. Now, even maybe in the last couple of weeks and months, you might have um, seen the latest Top Gun movie. For any old school people who even saw the original movie, Val Kilmer was in it again. You may not have known this. He had lines in the movie, but he actually didn't say any of them. They used artificial intelligence to speak on his behalf because he has cancer and can't talk. It was pretty incredible. But there's a lot of people now saying that they're scared that this technology can be weaponized. Well, there's going to be hackers calling up old grandmas, acting like they're the daughter or the son asking for money, which is kind of interesting. Maybe even one more story you've seen in the last couple weeks, Elon Musk doing a $44 billion purchase of Twitter, but there's been some kind of comical aspects to this whole development because they can't even get clarity on how many real human beings are on the platform and how many are actually bots. They don't even know. And it's still just a mystery right now in this whole process. I promise all these stories tie together. And the point I'm making is we are living in an age where it is hard to tell the difference between what's real and what's fake. And sometimes that's just harmless fun on a basketball court, but other times you can do real damage to somebody's life, maybe an entire social media platform, maybe an entire nation. We're gonna talk about that in just a second, but we're continuing today, everybody, this summer series we're doing just called Hidden Gems. The whole premise of this series is that there are a lot of things Jesus said that are well known. Even if you wouldn't consider yourself a church-going person or even a Christian, you recognize some of the famous sayings of Jesus. But there's a lot of stuff Jesus said that some people don't even know about or you definitely don't hear in a sermon. And today, y'all, you're in for a doozy. You, you, can you handle this? You ready for this one? I don't know if you can handle this one. I have never preached on this before. This is a challenge to me, all right? Can I get some grace today? This is a, hard, this is a personal challenge. My personal requirement was I got to preach on something I haven't preached on that Jesus said. I'm going to give myself a little challenge here, all right? So I'm batting lefty right now today. Just know that as a right-hander. Matthew 7, verse 15. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. Oh, yeah, it's about to get good. It's about to get good in here. Now, Jesus, he says, watch out. Now, here's the thing. If you're about to get hit in the back by like a stuffed animal or something, I might just say heads up. No real risk, though. Not a concern. 
if there's a little kid about to walk into oncoming traffic, I am going to yell, watch out! And Jesus is bringing some seriousness to this topic. He's saying, you got to watch out. This is not a teddy bear stuffed animal cotton candy conversation. All right, this is a serious deal to him. And he says, what you got to watch out for is what he calls false prophets. Now, the term prophet, if you read through the Bible at all, in the Old Testament, even the New Testament, you see this terminology, just base level, a prophet is essentially somebody who speaks on behalf of God. They're giving direction, they're giving insight, correction, even providing a preferred way of life. And Jesus says there are going to be people who are going to promote teachings, beliefs, worldviews, even lifestyles that may sound harmless, but are actually totally fake and false. Now, I got to stop here because sometimes this is where some people think, oh, no, here comes a hard sermon. Brian, you always got to be bringing the heat. Can you just back off just one minute? Like, it's Jesus, right? Come on, turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. It's 2022, right? Stop the hate. Isn't that what we say now? It's Jesus, Akuna Matata, Brian, come on. And yet here's why I think we need to lean into this a little bit. This is very basic, obvious stuff, but I think we don't appreciate how significant this really is. Your beliefs have a massive impact on your behavior and the outcomes of your life. Massive. And the thing is, they don't even have to be true to completely shape how you're living your life. I was just on a vacation like two weeks ago. My family met up with my sister's family, my mom and my aunt. So we're all hanging out doing a vacation. And at this point in the trip, we were in separate cars. My mom calls me up on the phone. She says, Brian, I don't know how to tell you this, but she's like, I think, I think grandma just passed away. And just for context, my 92-year-old grandmother lives on her own in a two-story house. So there's a lot of opportunities. Stubborn old Dutch lady. Okay, we love you, Oma, but you know. <laughs> Gotta live on her own. And so my mom's like, we can't get a hold of her. She's not answering her phone. She knows we tell her to always have your phone back. So we wanna check in, make sure everything's good. We can't get a hold of this lady. So immediately your brain just starts going into response mode. You're like, okay, we gotta start planning the flights back. We gotta start getting details in order, the logistics around all the services that need to go down. And so we finally send my uncle out there who was still at home, like an hour drive. And he goes to the front door expecting to walk in to find the worst. And sure enough, he unlocks the door and there's my grandma just chilling on the couch, loving life, doing great. Left her phone off or lost battery or something. But what's so funny is that period of time where we truly thought she had passed completely changed the way we were experiencing the trip, operating it. It was a totally different reality for us. And then my mom took it upon herself to call my grandma after that and chew her out. You don't dare leave your phone off. You almost killed us, woman. All right, never again, Alma. And it's funny though, because your entire reality can be shaped by facts and information that don't align with reality at all. There's some actual terms out there. I got introduced to these. Some of these are newer to our vernacular, especially with technology. One of these that just was created is called cultural parasitism. Now, this is the concept that says ideas and beliefs that are most likely to spread in society are not the ones that are most likely to be true. They're just the ones that are most likely to spread. And so this is what we talk about things going viral or clickbait. And there's actually some stuff coming out saying that news outlets themselves know that it's so much more valuable to get out first ahead of the other news crews 
they don't even care about being right anymore. They just got to be first. They'll fix that stuff later. And so they see this dynamic going. Now, here's the thing. It gets even more complicated. This other term, just in the last few years, came into play with the advances in technology. It's called Brandolini's Law. Now, this says that the amount of effort required to debunk misinformation and lies is orders of magnitude higher than the amount of effort to create them in the first place. So it's way easier to create the mess than to clean it up. And if it spreads, who really cares, right? Now, one more layer to this. This one might be one that we're all kind of familiar with, confirmation bias. All of us have this on some level. And this is just the concept that every single one of us requires much stronger evidence to accept things that don't exist with our current views of reality. And we require a lot less information to agree with things that already do, whether they're true or not. You take all of this stuff and you mix it in a big pot and you have one perfect cocktail for confusion, deception, and all sorts of chaos in our world. And Jesus is saying there are going to be false promises and teachings and misinformation going in and you have to know your stuff. You got to be aware. Got to be on your game. So he doesn't stop there. Jesus adds another dynamic to this whole thing. As we continue, he says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, I'm sure some of us in this room, you might be familiar with the whole Trojan horse concept. Now, this actually goes back about 3,000 years when the Greeks were attacking the city of Troy, and they kind of hit a standstill. So they actually, the Greeks, built this big wooden horse and put it at the front city entrance of the city of Troy. And so the people of Troy were like, oh, man, we're going to offer this to the gods. This is cool. Win for us. They open up their gates, bring the thing inside the city. Well, little do they know there's a whole group of Greek soldiers inside the horse that at night then get out, unlock the front door of the gates, and they decimate the whole city. And this now has become a euphemism for something that seems totally harmless but is completely going to kill you. Anybody have a Trojan horse virus on your computer? Remember when those were a big thing? It's a thing. The Trojan horse. And Jesus says the same exact thing. There's stuff that's going to come in sheep's clothing. Have you ever seen a threatening sheep in your life? These little soft animals, totally harmless. And a lot of times they're used as a comparison for followers of Jesus in the Bible. All right? Seemingly perfectly innocent. But he says they're actually ferocious wolves. Now, I've been to a handful of petting zoos in my time. I've seen plenty of sheep at petting zoos. You can even like put the cord in the machine, get the little pellets and they eat them out of your hand. Not scary at all. Have you ever been to a petting zoo where they say, hey, do you want to pet the wolves? We got them right over here. You can get some pellets. You can feed them right out of your hand. No, the wolves are behind the three inch glass and the high fence because they're going to destroy you. And Jesus is trying to help us understand. He's like, this stuff is hard to spot. Sometimes they're wearing the same jersey. Sometimes they're charismatic, attractive, can amass a following, look really successful. This is not easy stuff to detect all the time. Some of the older people in the room, you, you might remember when this went down. Anybody in here remember this guy, Jim Jones? This was a cultural moment. Jim Jones, if you don't know this guy, this is way back in like the 70s or something. He was this charismatic, strong leader who ended up forming what was called the People's Temple, which became this radicalized cult. It got so radicalized, they built a commune. This guy had a massive following. 
they have this commune, and at this critical moment in the development of this community, Jim Jones convinced over 900 of his followers to commit a mass suicide with himself. Now you hear that, that's extreme. That, that is the far end of the spectrum. And I know pretty much everybody in here and online, you'd say, man, I would never fall for something that ridiculous. And actually, I bet you're probably right. Most people are not going down with Jim Jones. But I do wonder how many of us get exposed to social media influencers, news outlets, politicians, pastors, teachers, counselors, other influential voices in the culture who are promoting and pushing views, arguments, solutions to problems, and all sorts of ways of viewing this very world we live in that sound extremely harmless, even beneficial and helpful, but are actually doing real destruction and harm. Sometimes you don't even realize the cultural muck that you're swimming in. And so, Jesus says, you got to watch out. Now, he gives us one clue, though, about how we navigate these waters, because this is water we're swimming in right now. He says there's going to be walls, there's going to be teachings that do real damage to people. But in verse 16, he gives us some guidance. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Summarizes it right here. A good tree can not bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So Jesus is using a physical example to explain a spiritual reality. This applies to the spiritual world just as, as much as it does to our real world. He finishes up here. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. That's an allusion to judgment. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So fundamentally, what Jesus is saying is the results are going to speak for themselves. What's the quality of what's being produced? A wolf cannot make a sheep. It just doesn't happen that way. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't make a lot of rotten fruit and that you can't get a lot of people interested in eating it. All right, it can spread a lot and you can make it look real good. But ultimately, Jesus says, it's going to be rotten. So I wanted to take a moment today and just talk about where's some of the bad fruit going around right now? Where's some of the stuff that looks really good, looks pretty harmless like a sheep, but it's, it's honestly devouring people. And some of the stuff we're navigating right now, you may have not had language for some of this stuff. I bet you've recognized some of it, but I think it really helps to have language for things so you can really name it. All right, so we're gonna go through some of these. Hopefully this is kind of interesting. The first thing we see floating around in our culture is relativism. Now, just simply put, relativism argues that there is no absolute truth at the end of the day. So this has origins in postmodern thought. This has really infused itself in the university systems around a country in the world. And so at the end of the day, what this causes then is people then create their own views of subjective reality and truth. And so your perspective is just as legitimate as anybody else's, and you have no moral high ground to tell somebody that their view of reality is lesser than yours. Now, here's the irony of this whole thing. To say there is no absolute truth 
is an absolute truth claim. It contradicts itself right from the beginning. Just look around the world. There are so many views of reality that contradict each other. Look at the different world religions. We're not the same. There are so many different ways of viewing and living reality that don't line up. And here's the risk of this. This entire attitude in our culture, it sounds so sheep-like, so tolerant. Let's just love each other. Let's accept everybody. Let's all just get along. I love the sound of it. But you start telling kids and teenagers that their view of reality is accurate and right, and they're making permanent decisions about their lives that cannot be reversed or corrected, and so many other things going on in our culture. This looks very cheap, like it is devouring people in our world right now. It's dangerous. Let's keep moving along, though. These are, it's going to get increasingly good, all right? So just hang on. Next one, prosperity theology. So if this is new to you, this is the belief that God's ultimate desire for you is to attain all of the wealth and happiness you desire. If you can just apply the right principles, if you can just exercise the right faith, if you can just name it and claim it, God's going to hook you up in Jesus' name. And some of you guys, I mean, the meme for this is going on the late night TV preachers, and they're like, if you sow $10 into my ministry, God's going to give you a million in return. They wipe their forehead with their rag and all the things. Now, what's funny is a lot of these guys will use their own wealth that they're making off of you as an argument for God's blessing. It's proof that it's working. But look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. He says, there are people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth. This is strong language. And who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So here's the thing. If your theology involves you thinking that obedience guarantees God's financial blessing on your life, Paul says, you have been robbed. Your mind has been robbed corrupted. Now there's a nuance to this. Hear me, church. It is not a sin to be wealthy. It's not a sin. It's not a sin to be poor. But it is definitely not an absolute sign of God's blessing if you have a lot of money. So we got to make sure we have some nuance to this whole thing. It's prosperity theology. It's harming people. Let's keep going. Moralistic therapeutic deism. I know it's a mouthful, let me get to it. This is sometimes called the new American religion. This has totally permeated our culture now in the last 10 or 15 years. There's a few premises to this, all right? So track with me. If somebody falls in this category, they would say they definitely believe in a God. There's the deism part, belief in God. They would say God wants people to be good and nice and kind to other people. There's the moralistic piece. They would say the central goal in life is for you to be happy and feel good. There's the therapy side. Two other pieces. God's primary involvement in your life is to help you solve your problems. And finally, the people who go to heaven are just the nice, good people, however you may define that. I like to call this the have your cake and eat it too religion because at the end of the day, it doesn't require any real sacrificial obedience on your part. You just get to be a nice person and then God gets to be your butler in the sky, helping you with all your little needs and issues. Here's why this is kind of dangerous sometimes. We just got to be real. There is preaching sometimes that'll sprinkle in some helpful little principles, throw in a couple verses. They're pulled out of context, but we all mean well, right? Jesus still uses it. And it's just 
cotton candy, helpful, Christianity-ish teaching. The problem with that is you don't need a savior from your sin anymore. You just need a servant to solve your problems. You don't need a God who is ruling and reigning. You just need a God who's going to be your sidekick so you can go accomplish all of your dreams. And you have an entire generation of people who have weak, tepid faith, and they cannot really live into the truth and power that God has to offer and he wants to provide. It's a weak, limp-wristed worldview. Two more. Now is getting good. Here we go. Progressive Christianity. So if this is a new concept to you, this is a massive one right now in our culture. This is a form of Christianity that so accommodates to the cultural value system of this world that it loses its fundamental Christian identity. And so the central conviction is that we need to make the Christian faith more inclusive and more progressive to where our culture is headed so more people can come into the fold of the faith. The problem, though, is you get to a point where Jesus is not Lord and Savior anymore. He's just a nice, good example. You get to a point where the Bible's not the Word of God. It's just one helpful text in a variety of others that can help you in your own faith journey. The gospel is no longer the message of the salvation of Jesus, but it is a message of social activism. And the progressive Christian view, it's very compelling because it has so much language of inclusion and compassion and justice and even care for creation, all stuff Christians should care about. But in thinking that they are building an on-ramp for more people to enter the faith, they are actually creating a cliff that people are falling off of right and left all around in our culture. And they're cooking a giant cultural pot of spaghetti that has no power or truth in it. You look at any progressive Christian movement today, I will tell you this, it is fledgling, it is dying, it is weak, and it is doing harm to people's spiritual lives. It is void of any real truth that can transform somebody's life. You just gotta be aware of it. I'm gonna do one more. Christian nationalism. Now, if this is a new phrase for you, I'm going to give some introductory stuff around this. This is where your Christian identity and your American identity become inextricably linked. And your faith and your American identity form a codependent, unhealthy relationship on one another. It gets to a point where the Christian faith starts getting pushed and promoted hard through political force because Christians demand a privileged place and culture because they believe they deserve it. Now, do not hear me wrong. I am not talking about patriotism right now. There is a very healthy, good place for patriotism, an appropriate love and respect and appreciation for where you live. I am so grateful to be an American. By God's grace, I get to live in this country. You know how many people have sacrificed over the years so I can enjoy so many freedoms? I know it's not perfect. I know we have a messy history. But if you really feel like this is so broken, you are welcome to move to North Korea. Your mind will be changed very quickly. There are a lot of things we enjoy in this country. I am grateful. I will be celebrating Independence Day tomorrow. I'm thankful. All right? Here's the thing. Where progressive Christianity tries to bring in the kingdom of heaven through left-wing social activism. Christian nationalism tries to bring the kingdom of heaven through right-wing political force and cultural domination. 
You look at nationalistic governments all throughout history, and they always devolve into authoritarianism, oppression, and even racism. Hitler's Germany being one of the most recent examples. So Christians, this is our challenge. We have a call to be good citizens wherever God may have you live. But our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. God is not building the kingdom of America. He is building the kingdom of God, which is way more expansive, involves way more nations, ethnic groups, languages. It's his kingdom. Thank you for clapping for that. I appreciate that. So hear my heart. We're being loud because we're excited. Um, Hear me, hear me, hear me, please. Know my heart. If you're a Christian here, I believe you do have a responsibility to be involved in the political process. Do your homework, study, research, vote, care about what's happening in this country. As a Christian, we have a responsibility to be good stewards and faithful citizens. But our ultimate allegiance is not to a president, a political party, or platform. It is to Jesus. He is the only one we worship. And we have to live in that tension as followers of Jesus. So there is some bad fruit out there. It's rotten. It sounds really good. It's really appealing. There's even pieces of it that taste kind of good, but it does real harm. How do we make sure that our lives are bringing good fruit? How do you make sure you can root the rottenness out of your own heart? How do you make sure you can be a good tree throughout your life for Jesus' sake? I heard a pastor once say, the best protection against darkness of error is the light of truth. So I really believe the best way to fight anything false is to make sure you have the true standard to really compare it with. Now, just this last Thanksgiving, Nicole and I flew out to Chicago to visit my family. And when we were leaving to come back here to Colorado, I left my wallet at my sister's house. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever tried traveling on a plane with no form of ID. I don't recommend it, by the way. You can do it, though. I don't know if you do this. You show up to the airport. I'm like, I got no ID, guys. I don't know what to do. So they're like, okay, come with us. They take you to this dark, secretive room. And this government guy sits me down. He's like, here's the thing. He's like, I'm going to set a timer for five minutes. He's like, you have five minutes to study all of your personal history because we are going to quiz you on it, everything about your life to make sure you are actually Brian Bigger. And so literally for those five minutes, I felt like I was cramming for every final I ever had in my entire life. I'm like, call my mom. I'm like, okay, uh, what was my nickname when I was three? And what school did I go to for kindergarten and all these things? And that's literally the questions I ask you. They sit you down. They're like, okay, here's the thing, Brian. Who was your third grade teacher? They're like, What's your preferred candy when you watch a movie? What does your wife call you? Only things that apparently I would know in the government. I don't know how they figured out all that stuff. <laughs> Unreal levels of information they have on you. But they knew what the real Brian would say to those answers. They had the standard to measure it against. And so Jesus says this in John 14, 6. I am the way and the what? Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is absolute truth. His name is Jesus. He is the standard we measure everything against. That's the measuring line. Now, a couple chapters later, Jesus adds even more nuance to this. He says in John 17, 17, your word is what? Truth. Jesus makes truth claims. 
This is not open for debate in his mind. And so Jesus says the primary way you align yourself with truth, you push out darkness, lies, and all those things is through God's word. God's word is the ultimate standard of truth. There is no other tool in the Christian life that plays that type of primary role around aligning you around truth. Everybody, you have to hear me. This must be a part of your life if you have any hope of living in truth. This is your fundamental core resource. And this is losing its place in our culture. It just is. Now, I know there's some of us in this room, and I totally understand the sentiment. You think, man, Brian, how old is the Bible? My goodness, people keep bringing this back. We have come so far since the Bible was written. I mean, it has some interesting things, but surely it can't be our primary standard for truth in 2022. Well, let me just, let me just put this in front of you. Paul, 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is inspired by God. These are not the words of human beings. He used human authors, but God was directing every single word. That gives this a special place in our collection of literature throughout human history, a very primary special place. And it's useful to teach us what is, what's the word? True. And then make us realize what is wrong in our lives. You don't get to judge the Bible. It judges you. All right? It doesn't work both ways. Sorry, I'm getting a little feisty today, all right? And it, is, it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's the Bible's role in our life. I want to keep going. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and active. This is not a dead history book. God speaks and breathes into it even today, helping to shape our thoughts and attitudes. It can speak to you in a moment, even for a specific situation in your life. That's how powerful it is. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It goes down to the soul. This ain't just information, everybody. This drives down into the heart, going after your very thoughts and attitudes and views of reality. Two more just for fun. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There is nothing that Jesus has ever said that is going to go out of style or be proved wrong. People have been trying for thousands of years. One more cherry on top, Isaiah 48. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. If you're going to be a person of truth, you need to be a person of the word. You have to, it's an absolute requirement. And it's one thing to come in on Sunday and kind of lift your hands and sing a couple songs, you know, and listen to a sermon. I'm glad you're here, by the way. I think this is valuable. But if this is your only spiritual nourishment throughout the week, you're gonna get rotten real quick. I'm just saying. You need a regular habit of getting in God's words yourself so you can be transformed from the inside out. I want to get so basic right now to almost embarrassingly simple because I know how easy it is to fall out of this habit. Come on, if we were really honest in this room, how many of us would just admit, yes, you would say I'm a follower of Jesus, but man, the Bible is kind of in, it's kind of out, I forget, I don't even know where it's at. Sometimes I get motivated and then I forget. Like all the things, I get it, it's life. 
But if, if you don't have a regular Bible engagement habit right now, I am here to jumpstart your system, all right? I'm gonna give you a little, little swift kick right in the butt to get you going again. We're gonna keep this real simple. I want you to get your hands on a Bible and I will recommend two good ones in just a minute. And just read one chapter a day. Don't try to read the whole New Testament. Some of you type A people, you're like, I'm gonna read the Bible today. Brian said to do it. No, I did not. Do not do that. One chapter. Start in the book of James. You will finish it this week. You'll read a whole book of the Bible in one week. One chapter a day. And here's what I want you to do. There's plenty of systems out there. This is a good, simple one to start with. It's just called the SOAP method. If you've heard of this before. Read the one chapter. And after you read it, it'll take you a couple minutes, if that. Pick out one sentence, one verse, one section that just sticks out to you. Just catches your attention for whatever reason. Just pick it out. And the S just stands for scripture. Write that down. Whatever it is, something's going to jump out to you, okay? More than the other areas. And just write it down. And some of you guys, you're old school. You like the pen and paper thing. I do a computer. Do your thing. Whatever works for you, but write it down. The next thing is, oh, observation. Take a minute to write down everything you just noticed about that little passage that stuck out to you. What's it tell you about God? What's it tell you about your own self? What's just interesting about it? Anything you just notice about it. You're processing it. You're reflecting on it. Then A is just application. Take a minute to ask yourself, how does this actually apply to my life? Like, what do I need to do in light of this? Are there any changes in my life? Is there anything I need to change about what I believe? Does this challenge me in any way? Just write it down. And the last thing is just pray. Take a moment and pray for God to help you to live this out and actually apply it to your life. I'm telling you, if you will just make a simple habit of that on a daily basis, you won't even recognize yourself in a couple of years. I had a mentor challenge me when I was 19 years old to start doing this. I've been doing this since I was 19. And now I have thousands of pages of notes from this whole process. It is astounding to me to read some of the stuff that I wrote so many years ago. I'm not even the same person. I see all the prayers that God has answered. I see the transformational work of God's word in my life. And I'm telling you, if you are serious about bringing truth into your life and living it out, this has to be a part of your regular daily life. It has to be. It's essential. All right? This is non-negotiable. And so for anybody in this room, it can be very intimidating just to pull a Bible out like this and be like, what is happening? I am so confused. What's going on? I don't even recommend that. There are so many good study Bibles is what they're called. They have little notes in the margins. They tell you about what's going on. They help you with the confusing verses. There's two in particular that I really like. One is just called the Life Application Study Bible. You can get it on Amazon or wherever. It has little notes, gives you overviews of the books. And if you're newer to the faith or you haven't really read through the whole Bible before, this is a great place to start, honestly, for anybody. And again, it'll just give you great notes. Now, if you're in this room, maybe you've been around the Bible block a couple times, you're looking for maybe a little bit more of a challenge, there's the ESV study Bible. It's a little bit more academic, intellectual. It gives historical context. It's, it'll really give you some interesting articles on different things. Great resource to have to. You can order either of those on Amazon and probably have them tomorrow. Here's the thing. If you are against spending 25 bucks for that, I will get one for you, okay? I had a friend just a couple weeks ago say, man, 27 bucks. I don't know. I'm like, all right, I'm mailing one to you right now, okay? It's an investment. And of course, he's using it every single day now, okay? So you're welcome. You know who you are, all right? So whatever it takes, get in the word. Now I want to add one other conversation here. I think this is going to be helpful. 
And I just call this the framework for filtering truth. And what's important about this is not all truth is created equal. It's not all equally important. And we have really lost sight of that in our current cultural moment. And so I think this is just a good way to think about, is this like really essential truth in my life or is this just important? And let me just get after it and I think it'll start making sense. There are certain things that fall within what I would call the die circle, okay? You should have certain convictions that you would die for. They're that important to you. And they really should revolve around your faith if you're a Christian. That Jesus is God. That you need to trust in him to be saved. The Bible is the word of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. There are some core Christian beliefs that are central to our faith and essential for us to have a proper relationship with God. There is one problem we have in our church right now. I need everybody to be praying. There's a pastor on our staff who has something in the die circle that should not be there. And it is Pastor Brandon Freda and his obsession with the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Drives us nuts on the staff. Cannot convert this guy to the Broncos. It's in the die circle for him. And it's ridiculous. All right. So I apologize when he wears Chiefs gear on the stage. I know. <sighs> all right. Anyways, um, this should be a relatively short list for you. And please, I want to say this in the right tone. I want to be careful of this. Your political convictions don't belong in this circle. I know they're important, but they don't belong in this circle. There's a die circle and it's for the most critical things. Now, outside of that circle, I would say this is the debate circle. Now, this is stuff, it's important. You should have a position and you should actually be willing to try to convince people on your position, but it is not worth dividing over. It's not worth dying over. So like a good example for our church is baby baptism, infant baptism. So we as a church have a position that what you see in the Bible is that you should believe before you're baptized and that you should be baptized on your own personal volition based on the faith you've placed in Jesus. That's our position. So we don't baptize babies in this church. We will dedicate, do child dedications, and we'll even let a small child get baptized if they can articulate their own faith. But you need to be old enough to do that. And we'll work on with the parents and all that stuff. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of us in this room, you were baptized as a baby. I was too. Now again, God changed my position. I got baptized again as an adult because I wanted that to be my profession of faith. And if you are somebody in that position, I would challenge you. It will be a massive step for your faith to know it's something you chose to do. But if you're in this room and you were baby baptized, you're like, Brian, that counts for me. I'm good. I'm not dying on that hill with you. You can be a happy member of this church. We're not going to fight over it. But just know we have a position. And so that's just a good example of it. And there's plenty of other things like that. Here's the challenge with the debate thing. You need to pray very hard before you start posting your debate positions on social media, okay? So just make sure you're careful before you start throwing grenades at Uncle Jim and Aunt Kathy that you never talk to but reads all your stuff on Facebook, right? The debate circle. I got one more here. Discuss. I think you know where I'm going with this. This is anything that's interesting, maybe even important on some level, but it's not even worth debating on because it, there, we don't have enough information to have a strong position. So... The details of Jesus Christ's return. I am not going to start debating you on the timing of it, all the nuances of it. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, it's confusing. Okay, it just is. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. I'm not about to fight you over that stuff. I know he's coming back, all right? I'll die on that hill, but not all the other little nuanced stuff. I had an interesting conversation with a guy from our church a couple weeks ago. We talked about the phraseology that you use 
when you baptize somebody in water. I didn't even know there was controversy around this, but apparently there is. Now you're saying, I don't even have a strong position on it. So we just had a nice, good discussion over dinner, and he's one of my good friends in the church, and we're good. I ain't about to lose a friendship over something as little as that. I'm not doing it. But here's the risk of our culture right now. We are moving stuff from the die circle to the discuss circle. And so there's people that are saying, well, is Jesus really the only way? I mean, there's a lot of interpretations. Is the Bible really God's word? I mean, it has a lot of cultural, contextual stuff. Maybe we just pull that stuff out. Did Paul really say that? And we start saying, maybe this is more of a discussion thing. Maybe those issues around morality and all the things happening right now, maybe, maybe we've made some progress. And, and Jesus would say, nope, we die on that hill. And this is the truth of the matter, everybody, as we close today in John 8. This is what Jesus says. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the what? Truth. And the truth will set you free. There are a lot of teachings out there. There's a lot of views of reality. There's a lot of arguments around even the solutions, the problems in our society. But here's what Jesus says, I'm the truth. He's the way. You don't get to God without going through him. He is the standard for truth. And he needs to have his rightful place in your life if you have any hope of living out and experiencing truth in your own life. And so our challenge church, we need to be people of the word. We need to be a church that is serious about this. We don't want to just be a cotton candy church. We want to be a serious church that knows this stuff, knows what's going on in the world, knows how to address it from a biblical worldview. You got to know this stuff. You got to be helping your kids with this stuff. This matters. We got to be people of truth. We're going to take a moment and actually share communion together as a church. If you didn't get a little cup coming in and you want to... Um, join us in this. Just raise your hand real quick. We'll have some people coming around with baskets. They'd love to help you out. So make sure you just get your hand up real quick if you'd love to participate. And we'll make sure everybody um, gets an opportunity to be a part who wants to. Okay? We'll get to you. Don't worry. Now, I'm sure for a lot of us in this room, this isn't the first time you will have taken communion. But this is a great opportunity for you to declare God's truth in your life that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that he died on your behalf, that he defeated sin and death and now is ruling and reigning and will usher in his kingdom one day. You get to declare that through communion, that Jesus, I believe in this. I believe in you. There might even be some of us in this room today, maybe you have participated in communion before or never before, but you've taken it kind of flippantly. You're like, okay, little snack during church. And I really want to challenge you to use this as an opportunity to maybe place your faith in Jesus for the first time. For the first time in your life, this is really gonna mean something to you. Jesus, I want your truth. I want you living in me. I want to invite you into my life and you can take community as a declaration of placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna ask you guys to get the cups ready. You can take that little wafer out, open it up. It's not rocket science, but it is complicated. So do your best.
So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, before going to the cross, he took bread and he told his followers, this is my body, which is broken for you. So let's take this bread together and remember the broken body for Jesus, for our sins. same way, Jesus took a cup and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's take this cup together, remembering Jesus' blood shed for us, for our sin. Jesus, right now, we declare our faith in you that you are truth itself. And Lord, I pray right now that you would cleanse us from so many of the lies, misinformation, and different teachings in this world, that you would cleanse our hearts and root out any of the rotten fruit, Lord, and that you would place just good fruit in our lives, Lord. I pray that we'd be people of your word, that we would take it seriously, that you would use it to refine us, that our church could stay faithful to your standards of truth, Lord. I pray for all of those placing their faith in you, that they would be grounded in your truth, in your love, God, and that they would live it out all of their days. Lord, help us be faithful to this, Father, and give us courage, God, to stand for truth in this culture. Let us hold our ground in love and compassion, but not backing away out of fear or pressure that we can have the power of God on our lives for the sake of your kingdom and its advancement. Give us that courage and favor in our jobs, our schools, our families, Lord. Use us powerfully in this world. And Jesus, we pray all of these things because it truly is, it's for your glory, God. It's for your name. And we pray you would use this church to continue to move your purposes forward in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.